Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Read along as I read. Mark 8, verse 1. In those days, there was again a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they've remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come a great distance. And his disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve them, and they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. The picnic principles of life, number one is this. Listening is more important than munching. Say it with me. Listening is is more important than lunching. So as your stomach growls through the service, I want you to remind yourself, I need to listen. Don't worry, stomach. I'll feed you in a minute. Listening is more important than munching. Or to put it another way, learning is more important than lunching. Okay? In those days, again, there's a large crowd. They had nothing to eat. You look at verse 2. He feels compassion. Why? They were with him three days and had what? nothing to eat. Large crowd, nothing to eat. Three days, nothing to eat. They are so focused on Jesus that they forget about food. When is the last time you and I were so focused on our Lord that we totally forgot to eat a meal or meals? So enraptured with Jesus, they're skipping meals. What they're getting spiritually is so much better than anything they could get physically. Why? Because they're filling up on soul food. That's why. Jesus is food for the soul. When you fill up on Jesus, you will never go hungry. John 6, 33. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, what? Say it with me. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. And again, later in John 6, I am the bread of life. Your father ate manna in the wilderness. They died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone wants to eat of this bread, he will what? Live forever. Jesus is the only one that can satisfy the soul. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Some of you here this morning, you're famished. You're starving. And you don't even know it. And and you're trying everything. You go from one thing to the next thing, trying to fill your soul. And you go from one relationship to the next relationship, trying to fill your soul. And you go from one job to the next job, trying to fill your soul. And you go from one move to another move, trying to fill your soul. And you go from one hobby to another hobby, trying to fill your soul. And nothing is going to ever satisfy you until you come to know Jesus Christ. For it is he alone that will satisfy your soul. And these people couldn't get enough of Jesus. Three days feasting on spiritual food. Three days taking in the ministry of their Lord. Following him, listening to him, being with him, satisfied in him. 
You know what these, this crowd teaches us? To focus on the spiritual and not the physical. You and I are too often focused on everything physical. Looking for satisfaction in the physical. Realizing it is the depth of the spiritual is what we need most. You know what they were doing? They were, they were fasting. Whether they realized it or not. And what they teach us is the importance of practicing the spiritual discipline of fasting. What a lesson to teach on a picnic day, Pastor Scott. That's what they're doing, though. And Jesus expects you, and Jesus expects me, to learn how to fast. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. Whenever you fast. See, Jesus expected it. Do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. They neglect their appearance so they'll be noticed by men that they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Verse 17, but you, say it with me, when you fast, Jesus expects you to fast if you are a follower of his. Jesus expects you to fast if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. It's called a spiritual discipline. Well, what exactly is fasting? It's going without the physical in order to spend time in the spiritual. It's going without food or drink. Maybe for one meal, maybe for an entire day, maybe for an entire week. Maybe it's going without food and only drinking water. It could be going without sleep. It can be going without sexual intercourse. Wait, what are you talking about, Pastor Scott? Don't let my wife hear that. Well, listen. Go to 1 Corinthians 7, where it's taught. You may say, I don't understand this fasting thing. Why do I fast? Well, listen carefully. You don't fast just to do it. You don't fast to try to gain favor with God because, oh, I'm so spiritual, Lord, now you need to answer my prayer. You don't fast to, 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 you know, to diet. Why do I fast then? You fast to spend time in prayer. You fast to spend time in scripture. You, you fast to spend time studying the word. You fast. Maybe there's an important decision that you are facing in your life and you and your husband don't know what to do and you need God's wisdom and so you decide to fast. Fast sexually or fast from food. And say, we are going to take that time where we were going to spend doing something physically and we are going to take that time and spend it spiritually with the Lord. Maybe there's someone you need to intercede for. They're dying or they're struggling and your heart is burdened for them. Skip that meal and say, instead of eating today, I'm going to go to God in prayer and I'm going to intercede for that person. This past week, some of you knew I did an, uh, an interview on Moody Radio with Chris Fabry on Friday. And, and radio interviews get me nervous and I'm not a radio guy. And I, so, so I just took lunch. And I brought my lunch. I said, I can't eat today. I, I need to pray. And so I just sought the Lord and took it to him and bathed it in prayer and studied his word. And, and, and that's what it means to fast. To go without the physical and do something spiritual. You know what they encourage us, this crowd? To learn how to fast. To go without food. And I want you to understand something. You all die! Skipping a meal will not kill you. Skipping a day of food will not kill you. Now, if you have a physical condition and the doctor has said you can't, well, that's a different story. 
But for most of us, skipping a meal will not kill us. We need to practice bodily self-control and learn to mortify the flesh. And by the way, it's a sign of spiritual maturity is what it is. Principle number one, listening is more important than munching. Picnic principle number two, complain less and what? Care more. In those days, verse 1, there was again a large crowd. They had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples and said, I feel what? Compassion for them. Now, there's a large crowd. There is always plenty to complain about when there is a large crowd. Think about it. Three days of dealing with this huge crowd, exhausting crowd, intrusive crowds, stepping over and around each other people crowds, testing your patience crowds, ugh! Some of you just can't stand to be around crowds. And this was a big crowd. We're talking 4,000 people, verse 9. As a matter of fact, it's more than that. Parallel passage, Matthew 15, 18, those who ate were 4,000 men besides who? Women and children. So the estimate could be as high as 8,000 people, if not more. We just got back from the South Jersey shore where I grew up, and we went on vacation with the kids as we do every year, and there's people everywhere. All of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, New York, you know, vacations at the Jersey shore. Tourists everywhere. The locals, we call them shoebies. It's just what they are. They're shoebies because they used to bring their, their lunches in shoeboxes, you know, generations ago. Big crowd. It's a mixed crowd. Look at verse 1. It says, in those days, this points back to his visit in Decapolis, the end of verse 7. That was a predominantly Gentile territory. So these are Jews, Jesus and his disciples, dealing pri primarily, predominantly with Gentiles. So it's a mixed crowd. Listen carefully. You will never hear Jesus complain about crowds of people gathered in his name. I don't ever want to hear you ever say, this church is too big. I don't ever, ever want to hear you say, there's too many people here. Jesus would never say, Oh, there's too many people here gathered in my name. Some of you need to go home. You need to understand this. Big church is not bad church. As a matter of fact, if you don't like big church, you will not like heaven. Revelation 7, 9. After these things I looked and behold a what? Great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their, in their hands. Listen, big church is not bad church. God delights in as many people as possible gathering together to worship him, to learn of him, to be with him. Yes, it's easy to complain about the crowds. Well, what did Jesus say that day in verse 2? I feel exhaustion. Is that what he said? Three days of ministering to these thousands of people. I'm physically spent. I'm emotionally depleted. Everybody wants a piece of me. I'm tired of it, said Jesus. Is that what he said? I feel exhaustion. No, maybe he said, I feel frustration. 
I can't get away from these people. Everywhere I look, there's people, people, people. All they want are miracles. They want to touch me. They want to talk to me. They want to tell me all their problems. I, I, I feel exhaustion. I feel frustration. No, what did Jesus say? I feel what? Compassion. And he called his disciples over. And he told them that. He said, I want you to learn this. This is a teachable moment. I don't want to hear about how frustrated you are. I don't want to hear about how exhausted you are because of all the people around you. I want to hear about how compassionate you are. I want to hear about the heart that you have for the masses. I want to hear about the heart that you have in caring for people. Now, I want you to get this. Jesus' care goes beyond his closest friends to complete strangers. Jesus' care and compassion goes beyond individuals to nameless masses of people. You know what he's saying? Learn to care for complete strangers. People you do not know. Learn to care for nameless masses. Not just individuals who you're related to or individuals who are already your friends. Now, this is nothing new for Jesus. He often felt and he often showed compassion. Three times in the book of Mark, we we read this specifically, both of individuals and of crowds. There was a leper crying out and falling on his knees before Jesus in Mark chapter 1. We read, moved with what? Compassion. Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, and said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. See, compassion touches people when it doesn't have to. Jesus would see a crowd in, verse, in Mark chapter 6, verse 34. He goes ashore, he sees a crowd. He felt what? Compassion. For them, because they were sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. See, compassion goes ashore when it could have sailed away. He could have got close to the beach and said, oh, no, no, put back out. I don't want to see all these people. I know what they want, and I'm tired. He said, go right for them. Land this boat. I'm going to spend time with them. I'm going to teach them. And then here in this passage, Mark 8, 2, I feel compassion for the people. What words would you use to describe yourself? Would compassion come to the top of the list? What words would the people that know you best use to describe you and use to describe me? Would compassion be at the top of the list of a word that people would use to describe you? I want you to see this and I want you to get this. If you're going to be like Jesus, you better be compassionate. Because if you and I are not compassionate, we are not like Jesus. I don't care how big your Bible is and how many times a day you read it. I don't care how committed you are to God's house and how many times you serve during the week. Listen carefully. If you are not compassionate, you are are not like Jesus. Those who would be like Jesus will be 
compassionate. I don't know about you. I got a lot to work on in this area. I want to be like Jesus. He feels compassion, and, and I want you to notice his compassion goes beyond just the spiritual to the physical. Verse 3, if I send them away hungry to their homes, they're going to faint on the way, and some of them have come a great distance. He's caring for them physically, not just spiritually. We as individuals and we as a church must care for people physically, not just spiritually. Jesus fed them spiritually. Now Jesus wants to feed them physically. And you may say, well, then why are you making us buy a lunch today, Pastor Scott? Because I'm not Jesus. <laughs> and because you haven't been here three days. There's a saying, people don't care how much you know until they know what? How much you care. You know, as a church, we do try to care. We have a food pantry. We have a pads ministry for the homeless. We have servants in action who help and serve widows. We have a meal ministry. We try. And I want to encourage you in your life groups to really meet needs physically. Not just spiritually. Yes, yes, we have to be about the spiritual. We don't throw out the spiritual. That's the heart. That's the most important. Seeing people come to Christ and grow in Him. But we can reach them for Christ through the physical, oftentimes. Keep them in balance. Feels compassion, cares physically and spiritually. And then we see this true care and compassion come out. And what does Jesus do? He does not minimize, minimize the danger, and he does not ignore their situation. He doesn't minimize their danger or ignore their situation. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they're going to faint on the way, and some of them have come a great distance. He knows they're physically depleted. Their strength is gone. They've been weakened by hunger. They could faint. He also knows that this is a crowd of women and children, not just men, and they're far from home, and he didn't want to risk, want them to risk it, and, and especially after seeking him out and spending three days with him. So picnic principle number one, listening is more important than munching. Complain less and care more. Here's the third one. Picnic principle number three. See the possibilities, not all the problems. See the possibilities, not all the problems. Enter the down-in-the-mouth disciples. Reminds me of Winnie the Pooh's friend Eeyore. You know, this guy. One of the things he said, could be worse, not sure how, but could be. <laughs> and here we have the words of the disciples in verse 4 recorded us for us. His disciples answered him, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? Will you just listen to that? Where? In other words, there's nowhere to go. Anyone. There's no one who can help. Enough. There's no way we can afford it. Desolate. There's no place to turn satisfy there's no chance this is going to work these people there's no hope for these people nowhere no one no way no place no chance no hope aren't they a jolly bunch of jesus followers Woo! just filled with the joy of the lord impacting their world for jesus christ and sadly some of us in this room would fit right in 
with those bunch of Eeyores. Down in the mouth about everything, about everyone, and nothing's right, and it's all bad, and nothing seems to work. I got to tell you, I, I think God gets tired. I, I think he gets tired of Christians just saying, it's impossible. We can't do it. I think God gets real tired of churches saying, it's impossible, we can't do it, we've crunched the numbers and it's too much money, and we don't have enough people or workers to make it work, and we don't have the time or energy, and it's not worth it. Oh my goodness, you've been sucking on lemons all day? Do you serve the same God I serve? All-powerful? Get your eyes on him, not your problems. See, I want you to understand something. If you only do what you can do, you'll never see what God can do. If you only do what you can do, you'll never see what God can do. We need bigger vision Christians, and we need bigger opportunity Christians, and we need bigger expand your horizon Christians. We got plenty of Christians always seeing all the problems and telling us why it can't be done. We need Christians to see the bigness of our God and say our God can do anything. That's what we need, and that's who we need to be at this church, and that's who you need to be as an individual. You need to start looking at your God and all the possibilities, not all the problems. We've got to stop living with a spiritual senility, or what I would call a disciple dementia. What do you mean by that? Well, where is anybody going to be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place? How soon they forget. Just two chapters back in Mark chapter 6, there was a huge crowd that needed food as well. And guess what? Jesus fed 5,000 at that part. You may say, well, I thought that was the same as this one. No, they're different. The feeding of the 5,000 is different from the feeding of the 4,000. They're two distinct different events. Says who? Says Jesus. Mark chapter 8. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? Then he said, they said 12. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many full? He's, he's saying these were two different events. And they were a part of both of these events. Man, how sad when we forget the things that Jesus has done in the past. How sad when we see and we forget how God provided for us. Some of you are down in the mouth and you don't know what you're going to do about your bills and you don't know what you're going to do about your health and you don't know God took care of you before. He's going to take care of you now. No more disciple dementia. Start remembering God's faithfulness. Let's start remembering how God answered prayer. Let's start remembering what God did in the past. And what he did in the past, he's the same God he was in the past that he is in the present that he's going to be in the future. Stop forgetting the faithfulness and the power and the provision of your almighty God and his love for you. Jesus, what does he do? He disregards their complaining. He dismisses their short memory. And in verse 5, he says, let's take inventory. How many loaves do you have? And they said, what? Seven. He said, let's focus on what we have, not on what we don't have. Let's focus on what we have. Let's understand what we have. 
Let's, let's get that down. And let's not worry about what we don't have. Some of you are constantly thinking, well, we don't have this and we don't have that. And I don't have this. What do you have? Let, let's look at that. Let's focus there. And they answer, seven. And in the back of their minds, they're probably thinking, but that's for us. And I packed that and I don't want to give it up. We have seven, Lord. Which brings us to principle number four. Just because it's not your responsibility doesn't mean you shouldn't take responsibility. Just because it's not your responsibility doesn't mean you shouldn't what? Take responsibility. How many loaves do you have? They said seven. He said he directed the people, sit down on the ground and taking the seven loaves. Now, listen carefully. I have five children. All of our children have always had chores um, their whole life. You know, they, different ones during the week, and we switch them off. Setting the table, cleaning up the kitchen, mowing the lawn, taking the dog out. Sometimes one of the kids is in a friend's house, or, or they're, they're spending the night somewhere, or they're working, and, and the dog is banging at the back door to go out. And I'll ask one of the kids that are home to take them out. And the instant response I get from one of my kids to do a job that's not their job is, yes, Dad, I would love to do that. (laughs) Oh, I would love to do that. No, more than likely, the response I get is, it's not my job this week. That's not my job. My job is this. That's not my job. That's so-and-so's job. May I remind you, just because it's not your responsibility doesn't mean you shouldn't take responsibility. Christian, just because it's not your responsibility does not mean you should not take responsibility. Jesus could have sent them all away. Jesus could have sent them all away and no one would have been mad at Jesus. I mean, no one was expecting him to feed thousands of people. No one would think Jesus shortchanged them. It would have been so easy to rationalize. Not my job. Not my responsibility. I'm not in charge of that. How many times do you hear that at work? How many times have you said it yourself at work? How many times do you hear that in a church? How many times have you said that yourself at church? How many times do you hear that in your home? How many times have you said that yourself at home? Just rationalizing with your excuses. Further, it'd be easy to put responsibility back on the people. They made the choice to come. They knew the risk of running out of food. It was their poor planning. I didn't force them to stay. They could have left at any time. You know what? And most of them are going to make it home just fine, and they'll help each other out along the way. See, the easiest thing would have been just to dismiss them and send them home. The easiest thing is not necessarily the right thing. The easiest thing is not necessarily the right thing. Just because it's not your responsibility doesn't mean you shouldn't take responsibility. Start taking responsibility. You see something that needs to be done, do it. What else do we learn? Picnic principles of life, number five. Be grateful for the little that you have. Be grateful for the little that you have. Verse six. 
He directed the people to sit down on the ground and taking the seven loaves, what did he do? He gave thanks and broke them. He started giving them to the disciples to serve them and say, serve them to the people, verse 7. They had a few small fish and after he had what? Blessed them. He ordered these to be served as well. Be grateful for the little that you have. Now, before he gave thanks, Jesus gave directions. Directs everybody to sit down on the ground. Picnic time, that's what he's saying. It's picnic time. Everybody sit where you are. I'm going to encourage you to go out there and sit down. Whether you have a blanket or not, whether there's a table or not, whether there's chairs or not, there's no tents this year, people. So listen carefully. No complaining when you go outside. Just plop your backside down, enjoy lunch and fellowship with one another. He gave directions. He gave thanks. For what? Seven little loaves. Whatever you have, no matter how small, is a gift from God. Give thanks. Whatever you have, no matter how small, give thanks. Whatever you have, by way of the size of your home, give thanks. No matter what you have, by way of the size of your income, give thanks. No matter what you have, by, by the size of your health, if you have little health, you have health, give thanks. No matter the little that you have, give thanks. He gives thanks. There's, there's no bemoaning what he doesn't have. There's no bemoaning that they don't have more. There's no bemoaning that what would they have is not better. And I love this about Jesus. Takes the little that he has, gives thanks for the little that he has, and shares the little that he has. Boy, is there a principle there for us? Well, I don't have much, so I can't help you out. Oh, really? Is that what Jesus would do? He gives thanks for the little that he has after he takes the little that he has and he shares the little that he has. Maybe you need to take your little and give thanks for your little and actually share the little that you have. And watch what God will do with it. He gave it to the disciples after giving directions, after giving thanks. And Jesus served the disciples. And the tense of the verb means he kept serving and kept serving and kept serving and kept serving. And the disciples kept serving the crowd. He made them a part of the solution, the down-in-the-mouth Eeyores. So I'm going to make you guys part of the solution. And the disciples not only witnessed the miracle, but were a part of distributing the miracle. They, they, they heard about the seven loaves. They saw the seven loaves. They touched the seven loaves. And there were only seven loaves. And they kept passing out loaf after loaf after loaf after loaf after loaf after loaf after loaf. He gave directions. He gave thanks and gave it to the disciples. And then what did he do? He gave thanks again. Look at verse 7. They also had a few small fish, and he blessed them and ordered those to be served. Fish, now you're talking my language. Oh, I love fish. Well, I had a fish feast at the South Jersey Shore. And I'm talking fresh fish, not stuff frozen from China that came over on a boat. What kind of fish did you have, Pastor Scott? Flounder, mako shark, snapper, tuna steak, swordfish, mussels, scallops, devil clam, clam strips, crab imperial, crab cake, shrimp stuffed with crab meat, and the list goes on. Oh, I love the South Jersey Shore fresh seafood. That is not exactly what the crowd enjoyed that day, just to let you know. What'd they get? Well, typically they would have got dried fish, 
commonly eaten with bread. So fish with bread. Fish with bread, yes, this is the birth of the filet fish sandwich right here. <laughs> here it is. And he blessed the small, he blessed the few, and miraculously God provided. Which brings us to principle, picnic principle number six, our last one. God's provision is what? Say it with me. God's provision is God's specialty. Verse eight, verse nine. They ate and were satisfied. They picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. God provides. He always provides. They ate and they were satisfied. Close to 8,000 people with women and children. No one left hungry. Proverbs 10.3 is a good reminder. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but he will reject the craving of the wicked. He's not going to allow the righteous to hunger. Those who seek him will be satisfied by him. Those who seek him will be satisfied by him. Or to put it another way, Matthew 6. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? How are we going to make it? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Verse 33, say it with me. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Just like Proverbs 10.3, the Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. You have nothing to worry about if you are seeking God. You have nothing to worry about or if you are seeking his righteousness. Nothing. He always takes care of his own. You just focus on seeking him. You just focus on righteousness. And God provides, and he provides more than enough. They picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. You gotta love leftovers. I don't know about your family. My wife makes some incredible meal for dinner and it won't be long till we're all around the table and then someone will, will yell, I call leftovers! I call leftovers! They're calling leftovers here. Seven big baskets full of leftovers. Truly it's been said, little is much when God is in it. Little is much when God is in it. Or little is much in the hands of God. Little is much when you put it in the hands of God. Seven little loaves become seven big baskets. And you may mean, what do you mean big baskets? Well, well the original language points to a huge basket. Like the one we read, Saul was lowered in to save his life. Acts 9.25, his disciples took him, that's Saul by night, let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a what? Large basket. That's the same word used here. These are baskets large enough for a man to fit inside. Seven little loaves become seven huge baskets of leftovers. And the crowd eats and the crowd departs. The picnic principles of life. Say them with me. Listening is more important than munching. Complain less and care more. See the possibilities, not all the problems. Just because it's not your responsibility doesn't mean you shouldn't take responsibility. Be grateful for the little you have, and God's provision is God's specialty. Let's pray.
heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, just take a moment right now and talk to the Lord. Maybe it's about learning to fast. Maybe it's about caring more compassionately for people. Maybe you need to give thanks for the little that you have and stop complaining about so much. Just talk to the Lord right now. Trust his provision. Seek his righteousness. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You may be here this morning and you're one of those whose soul has been famished. You've been starving spiritually. It's because you've been looking for everything in this world to satisfy. And Jesus alone satisfies the longing of your soul. You may say, that's me. I've tried it all. I've done it all. I'm still empty. And I'm full of sin. What do I do? In the quietness of your heart, I would ask you sincerely to call out to God. To call out to Him and ask Him to save you from your sin and fill you with His grace and mercy. And He will do that. Just call out to Him now with words like these, Lord God, please forgive me. Please forgive me for all the wrong that I have done. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for taking my place. Lord, I repent. I, I turn from my sin and I turn to you. I cannot save myself. I could never be good enough. Only you are good enough and great enough to save me. And I place my faith in you alone to save me. Forgive me, I pray in Jesus' name.